My name's Andrew Skipper. I'm chair of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells, and I have wide-ranging Africa experience from business to art and culture. Until recently, I was vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, and I'm a member of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. This is the sixth series of the A Perspective podcast, in which I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors alongside key cultural influences. People are deeply committed to building on the continent and spreading the word and the vision of it. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting and delivering on enormous opportunities. Today, I'm delighted to be able to turn to Temi Popula, the Chief Executive Officer of the Nigerian Exchange Limited. Temi is a successful C-suite leader whose unique blend of business acumen, financial expertise, global market growth, and operational insight has earned him a reputation built on some great career achievements. Before heading up one of Africa's leading listing and trading platforms, Temi was the head of a Renaissance Capital Equities and subsequently became the Nigeria CEO. Before this, he played a key role in building a, a successful equities business at CSL Stockbrokers at FM, FCMB in Lagos, where he worked from July 2010. He previously spent a year as head of new products, products and investments at United Bank for Africa, and was also the co-founder of Centurion Capital Partners, an asset management firm based in New York. He's an important leader in these turbulent market times, and we're very lucky to be able to speak to him today. So welcome, Temi, um, to the A Perspective podcast. I'm delighted to have you with us. Andrew, thank you very much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you. Yeah, and it's great to speak to you to again. We've been chatting a bit during the, during the global pandemic, and NGX Group hit a key milestone in their six-decade journey during that pandemic time, becoming fully demutualized and changing from a member-owned not-for-profit entity into a shareholder-owned profit-making entity. You stepped in as CEO of the exchange um, at this, frankly, challenging time and hosted a flagship capital markets conference centered around the key theme of getting Nigerian capital markets fit for the future. Almost a year on, have the last 12 months made you reassess any of your previous assumptions about the road to that future, and how do you see that future going ahead now? Okay, Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, this question is a packed one. We could almost spend yeah. the entire yeah, yeah. time <laughs> discussing this, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I will try to do justice to it. First of all, on the demutualization that you spoke about, uh, the very first demutualization was in 1993. Mm. And in that time, you have seen this trend, uh, I think it's the right one, of exchanges that have historically either been government-owned entities mm. or mutual entities uh, go into this sort of demutualization uh, process. Why do exchanges do this? I think it's straightforward. Number one, the competitive landscape continues to evolve. So if you look at whether it's the core equity um, exchanges uh, as marketplaces for financial capital, you've seen a lot of that get disintermediated by competition, yeah. smaller exchanges, private exchanges. Uh, the other driver, of course, is just the need for exchanges also to attract capital for their businesses, for their growth, to invest in technology, to invest in people, to innovate. And the Nigerian exchange, I think, was no different. So to your point, after 60, 62 years as a mm -hmm. mutual entity, we successfully uh, you know, got this done. A lot of kudos, of course, to many people way before my time who got that done. Uh, in that time, of course, as you said, I have come in as the CEO for the exchange. And um, one way I could maybe address the question you've asked is, what lessons have I learned and uh, what things yeah. have shaped my views 
and my perspective about this journey and this important assignment that I have. For me, I think the first is just the importance, I think, of policy. Mm-hmm. Not that I haven't really appreciated what policy means and what government involvement means. As a matter of fact, if you consider again the fact that almost all exchanges were government or mutual entities up until 1993, one would understand the roles that government and policy making, you know, has on that business. However, I think in the last year and a half, I have really come to have a bigger appreciation for that. Frankly speaking, particularly for exchanges in frontier markets like Nigeria is, then you would find an outsized importance of government and government policy for strong capital markets. All right. Uh, Nigeria is no different. You look at Nigeria, you look at many of the challenges that the nation faces, everything from, for example, unemployment, uh, the availability of foreign exchange, the low level of tax receipts to GDP. Uh, These are all things that the capital markets can resolve. However, for the capital markets to do that effectively, they need government support uh, by way of creating the right sort of policies and environment. And this is uh, the reason we had this very big level signature event. Uh, Mm. This capital market conference, uh, that event attracted, I think, most of the policymakers in Nigeria, several governors, several ministers, uh, heads of agencies, uh, the vice president of Nigeria, really just to put the capital market at the very center of their sort of thinking. Uh, And I think it was very successful. We walked away with a few very key strategic initiatives that we've been executing in that time. As they say, you've come at interesting times. I mean, in terms of the, you know, we've got volatility on the global markets, destabilization, geopolitical landscape, we've got supply chain shocks, we've got inflation rate issues, and we've got currency challenges in Nigeria as well. How are you having to adapt and adjust to these situations? And are are there any actually any opportunities coming out of this situation? Because it's uh, difficult to read for me at the moment, certainly. Uh, it's a good point, Andrew. Let me add two things that you left out of your uh, list. Yeah. <laughs> One is this global trend that we're seeing yeah. of capital preferring to be formed privately. So in yes. other words, you were seeing an increasing trend and preference for people to form capital privately over public markets. So this is a mm. big structural, some people would argue, historically cyclical, uh, but evolving more to a structural issue for those markets. So that's a sort of global trend phenomenon. Uh, as far as the Nigerian environment is concerned, one of the other things in that, that we have seen that I think could be more localized is increasingly a trend for our intermediaries to either look for alternative sources of business outside of the core exchange business or also yeah. be forced to do that because of this great migration that I think affects Nigeria more so than other countries. So in other words, you would see the best and the brightest of brains in Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, across several sectors, the financial services not exempted, really leaving Nigeria to mm-hmm. many countries to look for sort of better yeah. uh, conditions. And how, and, how, and, and how do you, I mean, both those issues are a challenge for, mm-hmm. for, for a business like yours. How, how are you addressing that? It's a very good question. I think that first and foremost, if you go back to you, actually, if there were opportunities in this, I think that yeah. there is. Uh, one of the things, the other one year that you didn't add is COVID, right? So what that has done is really become an accelerator, uh, accelerator into norms that we all never thought were possible. And one classic example 
Uh, I've been CEO of the exchange for uh, going on almost two years. I can probably count on my 10 fingertips how many times I've walked into the building of the exchange. Uh, mm. And this is because of the acceleration that COVID has done around digital uh, digitalization. So the exchange in Nigeria has worked now for nearly two years, actually more than two years, all right, completely remote. Uh, there's not been a single day of downtime. So this, you could argue, is one positive because that, of course, helps you to work more efficiently. It reduces operating costs. It improves your ability to you know, distribute your products and things of that nature. So that's one way we've adapted. Very quickly, you've had to uh, ensure, and if you think through uh, the three steps of digitization, uh, digitalization, and digital transformation, yes. I think that what we have had to do is move from digitalization into a full uh, digital transformation. And as we go along, I could maybe cite some examples of what has been um, opportunities there. The other way is back to the people uh, situation. Mm. Uh, it is a material issue that's facing any business in Nigeria. So now you're having to really focus more uh, on just sustainability of your business, your staff, uh, making sure that you run an organization that is sustainable, that is flexible, uh, because frankly, it is an employee's market. Uh, that also we have had to do. But if I come back to the business, what it's also done, I think, all of these sort of trends is open up, in my view, new frontiers for business. Uh, Nigeria yeah. is today maybe one of the leading uh, venues for attracting venture capital funding, for attracting tech-related funding. Uh, and what that has done is to also allow someone like the exchange to position itself for this flow of capital and to bring them closer to uh, the public side of things. And in this regard, we've had some innovative ideas and products also as a result. But And with the, the finance gap, whether it's infrastructure or anything else on the continent, how do you sell your exchange? What, why, would, why would people come to you? More people are going private. Um, there's delistings, for example, going on in JSE, for example. But um, mm. what's the pitch to go to you guys? And what does it deliver for them and also for Africa at that point, would you say? Mm. Sorry, big question, but what's your pitch? It's a, <laughs> sell me. It's, it's a big question. It depends yeah, who yeah. I'm talking to. Some people, yeah, yeah. it's a harder sell. For others, it's not yeah, so yeah. difficult. But I think overall, you know, when I look at situations like Nigeria, where people tend to see the negatives, uh, mm. and rightly so, uh, mm. there isn't a shortage of challenges. Uh, the reality also is that that then also presents opportunity because then sometimes the only way is up. Uh, so what do I mean by that? You know, you look at Nigeria, there is a lot of local capital that remains untapped. Yes. Uh, and so if exchanges like ours can find innovative ways to try to uh, attract that capital uh, and formalize them, it presents a tremendous opportunity for issuers. It presents tremendous opportunity for people who are looking for uh, exchange-related activity. So that's one sort of attraction, the ability to tap into uh, uh, material pools of capital. Uh, frankly speaking, they're not formalized yet, and this is part mm. of the responsibility uh, that we will have as an exchange. Uh, the other attraction is that, you know, if it's, for example, a corporate in Nigeria, one of the big transactions we had in the last year was MTN, the big South African telecommunications company, yep. uh, do a, a, a sell down on the exchange. Now, what that transaction did for them and what the attraction was uh, is the ability to increase your stakeholder base, is the ability to, um, you know, help to um, 
attract a level of visibility for your business that some would argue is perhaps uh, difficult to match if you're not a public company. Uh, it's the ability also that strengthens you to engage with your stakeholders, with your regulators, because in that case, rather being seen as a foreign company, you are now being seen as a local company. So I think that's another attraction. Uh, a business with the exchange at the exchange really could help you with a lot of stakeholder engagement, stakeholder management, opportunities to uh, to deepen business. Away from that, I think that ultimately, if you're somebody who has capital, the Africa rising story has been mm. on for a while. Uh, of course, it's had a few bumps along the way. Uh, but frankly speaking, I doubt that you would uh, find many locations available like you have in Nigeria with mm. a very young, upwardly mobile population that continues to grow. All of those people have to eat, they've got to wear clothes, they've got to do the basic things, and then some. And yeah, I yeah. think what that presents then is potential opportunity for you know making a lot of money and making returns in a sustainable way. Uh, granted, it is not without risk, but I think that is the nature of uh, the financial markets overall. The African Union's theme of Africa adding value in Africa for Africa and using Africa's own capital to deliver progress. How do you, in the and it's something you've picked up on in the previous question, cope to contribute this? And, and is, it a, is it a lonely journey or is it one where you are collaborating with other exchanges around the continent to deliver that? And if so, I'd be very interested to hear what sort of collaborations you think are, are going to, to deliver more for you and for, for others in Africa. Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's a wonderful question, and it's one of the subjects that excite me a lot these days. I think that the uh, AFCFTA, for example, has been spoken about quite at length. This, of course, is just uh, around the themes of the question that you ask. How do these one, 1. 1.2 billion yes. people integrate a little bit more, do more trade amongst themselves, and do you know, just uh, rising tide lifts all boats, as it were, uh, one of the things that we at NGX under my leadership have been doing a lot around is to ask what the capital market version of this would look like. Interesting. The AFCFTA has been more sort of trade lens driven, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. which is right. But, you know, how can I, through capital market, sitting in Lagos, invest in an IPO in Johannesburg or in Nairobi, for example? How can I buy public equities or bonds or any other products, you know, anywhere across the continent? So we are leading a very, very uh, intense effort there. Uh, the big issue there historically has been, well, for any trade or business that you do, how do you settle that? Yeah. If I buy shares, you know, on the exchange in Mauritius or on the exchange in Accra, and I'm in Naira, which is my local currency, and in Accra, it's CDs, how do you actually settle that transaction? That's been the biggest bottleneck mm. because most other things uh, technology will solve. Uh, mm -hmm. So what we are doing as NGX is really to work with, in this case, Africsim. Africsim, oh, yes. the big, yeah, yeah. you with know, their program. Bank. Precisely, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's to say, look, how do you plug... Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. I'm really fascinated by this because it's a exactly. big opportunity. Precisely. So, you know, Africsim, just for the benefit of listeners, is um, essentially set up this, what they call PAPS, the Payment African... Pan-African payment systems, uh, it's called PAPS. And what it says is that historically, for me to do business in Accra as a local Nigerian, I have to take my Naira, buy dollars, 
and then take those dollars, change it to cities, to transact in cities, and then whatever else is remaining, change the cities back to dollars into an era. It doesn't sound like a very efficient process. So they come in as Africa uh, to stand in the middle to pretty much net off all those sorts of transactions because for every one Temi that wants to do business in Accra, perhaps there's somebody else in Accra who wants to do business in Nigeria, uh, and they'll net that off, and whatever difference there is, they will stand to honor it and at least get that market going. Uh, it's a mm. wonderful, wonderful idea. And yeah. what we're working on now, working with Afrexim on one hand, uh, working with a few other exchanges, uh, we think that the way the pilots will start first is with the Ghanaian stock exchange. Okay. Uh, because first and foremost, the question is which central banks in the continent are plugged into parts first. Yeah. That's really the lens you yeah, would yeah. Uh, look at that from. So I think that at a, what I call perhaps micro level is something that excites me. It speaks to partnerships. Mm. It speaks to the Pan-African uh, integration. Uh, to address your question around what sort of other partnerships uh, really could exist, uh, I think that there are partnerships at several levels. Uh, mm. AFCFTA you can think of as a sort of government to government uh, there are regulator-to-regulator conversations also that need to happen because ultimately lots of rules, right, whether it's in capital markets or it's in trade or it's in, you know, whatever sectors, also need to be uh, harmonized. Uh, in Nigeria, our regulator is very aware of this. I was just on a trip with my regulator, the SEC and the DG there uh, to Ghana, where they signed uh, the two regulators. They're very historic uh, collaboration agreement around some of these things. Uh, there is a regional West African securities conversation also that is happening on this. And I think at the exchange level also, uh, you would find that ASEA, which is the African Securities Exchanges Association, also uh, continues to take a lead on this. So I think it's both a top-down, bottom-up uh, conversation around partnerships, around integration, but it's clear, I think, to most people that, you know, uh, a lot of the time uh, it tends to happen cyclically where foreign capital goes away, which is where we yeah. are now. And yeah. you've just got to look inwards and just try to uh, uh, stimulate local demand, local capital. Yeah, I think, and uh, that, as you say, it covers a whole range of areas of investment and using it, whether it's pension funds or whatever else in, in Africa, rather than relying solely on what comes in from the from the outside how, how, do you mm. what sort of relationships do you have with um, with global exchanges like the london stock exchange for example it's a very good question so yes indeed uh if i use london as an example we have mm. a very strong relationship with london i was just there a few months ago with mm. um you know the ceo and the team there mm. uh, you might be aware that we have a dual listing arrangement with london stock exchange one of the landmark transactions on the Nigerian exchange was before my time in 2014, where you had Seplat do a dual listing. This was a landmark transaction listed in Lagos and in London, a $500 million transaction at the time. And in that time, we have a few other, you know, mm -hmm. sort of dual listings like that. Airtel Africa is yes. another very notable yes. um, example. Uh, yeah, so you have that there, a strong relationship with London. We've just announced a strong partnership with Dubai, the Dubai Stock Exchange. Okay. The driver of that really is to say, well, uh, where in the world is there pockets of liquidity, uh, liquidity that is available? And I think you don't have to go too far than the Middle East to see that. 
Right. Um, so there's that driver for that. There's also the fact that when you think about perhaps even local dynamics, uh, there's a strong Islamic uh, uh, sort of uh, bend to Nigeria, the mm. businesses that have Islamic bends to them. Uh, Middle Eastern capital, Dubai, might find that attractive. Some of our largest corporates have some sort of Islamic parts to them as well. We feel that if we showcase them in a market like that, it could also help them to attract newer types of financing and um, capital. Uh, Johannesburg Stock Exchange is another very good example. In fact, I spent a, a good part of my time today with them. Uh, with them, we're looking at partnerships uh, across several levels. Some of the more obvious things like we have with London and a few other exchanges, but in this case, we're on private markets um, as well. Uh, we both, I think, share this uh, uh, consuming situation of increasing the listings from our exchanges of yeah. a slow pipeline of listings, but we're seeing more activity in private markets across our market. So how do we sort of come together to uh, address this uh, in a way that reduces unit economics uh, for both exchanges, especially because it's sort of um, uh, not been tried and tested um, just yet. So there are several uh, partnerships like that, I think, across the continent. Uh, Ghana got a strong partnership with, I was just with them, as I said earlier, uh, and I think the fact here is that most exchanges realize that um, uh, most of the problems that we're all trying to solve have been solved somewhere before. Yeah, right? no, it's and it's uh, very. I mean, for for all of us, I'm sure it's good to it's good to hear that these discussions are taking place because um, moving, you know, we need to move forward quickly. And if you can move forward together, that has to be better. I mean, stepping away from some of that, one of the points I know you've mentioned in the past is um, getting youth involved. Mm in trade and investment in Africa with such a lot of unemployed youth across the continent and you know, mm. in, in Nigeria as well. It, it obviously is a massive issue. And how can people help deliver on this? Um, you see, first and foremost, there's a maybe selfish part to this. When I look at my exchange, the average age of the investors on the exchange today and the average age of our intermediaries, our brokers, our advisors, it's north of 54. Uh, and so that doesn't paint the picture for a very good future if we continue <laughs> at that rate, right? So there's a very, very pressing need to make sure that there is a younger sort of interest in the activities of the exchange. Now, away from that, I think uh, more importantly, uh, many people would argue that for a place like Nigeria to get out of what have been these challenging years that it continues to face is that it's the youth, all right, that remain yeah. the last hope for the nation. And we're seeing signs of that. Uh, some of the strongest sectors of the Nigerian economy that drive growth, at least that are growing and booming, are mm. sectors driven by youth. Yes. You know very well about the arts scene in Nigeria. Lots of the musicians <laughs> today are young people. The Nollywood scene today is uh, materially influenced by young people. Technology. In the last 10 years, there's been three, four, five unicorns, you know, out of the continent. Yep. Uh, yep, yep. A big number of them are young people. So, you know, the truth is, you know, to do anything meaningful out of here, I think that the youth has to be a big, big part um, of that mix. And then, of course, if we look at the challenges facing uh, the nation and the region, to the point that you made, a lot of these youth also are unemployed. And uh, I think there's a collective duty to the best that we can to address that. So what are we trying to do? It's a few things. One is that we also all know that the language that these people understand is technology. 
uh, and digital. They're on their phone, maybe eight out of 10, you know, seconds uh, or on a device. So whatever products that I have as an exchange, I'm really asking myself, how can I make sure that this is digitized and distributable to uh, these population of people? Uh, in this regard, the MTN transaction that I spoke about uh, that we did just under a year ago was the first ever digital end-to-end transaction in the history of the Nigerian capital market. So on that transaction, you could, on your mobile device for the first mm -hmm. time, whether you were a first-time investor into the Nigerian markets or you were an existing investor, you could actually have access to that transaction in five, 10 minutes on your mobile phone, on a laptop or a computer. So for us, when we also then looked at the outcome and the output of such an event, we're actually blown away that it was a big chunk of women and youth that invested in that transaction, unlike what would probably have happened if it was a traditional interesting. Uh, manual offerings. So that's, I think, one way that one has to think about it. There's got to be a digital technology-led solution to um, you know, any sort of thoughts in that regard. The other bit is back to SMEs. Mm. Uh, SMEs, I think Nigeria is also like many other countries, SMEs remain the big driver of the economy. In Nigeria, that scene is dominated by young people. It's a very entrepreneurial uh, you know, group of people. Uh, and we're asking ourselves at the exchange, can we solve the problem of SME financing? Okay, and um, we think that the answer to that and is the, yes. And, and you can? <laughs> we believe that we can. You know, Can we solve the access to SMEs? It's not easy, I've got to say. Um, you know, uh, technology is probably that brings us also back to technology. All of these young, you know, people who are building companies in technology, many of them also need capital. They need working capital. They need capex, you know, related capital. Yeah. Can the capital markets help them? We think so. Uh, within tech, we're working on a dedicated technology board. Uh, we see that being a board that young people with tech-related companies should be able to use to access capital. Uh, we're working on our growth board. You know, we have a segment on our exchange growth board to attract mm. smaller companies, companies that are not yet so mature, uh, you know, more SMEs. And one of the things that we've done is to go back to look at the rules there, to look at the current setup there, and to agree that we do need to tweak that um, a little bit more. But it all brings you right back to policy, as I said earlier. Uh, many of these things would be extremely difficult to implement if uh, this sort of um, the thought from the top is not as aligned uh, about the strategic yeah. importance of these things. That's, and in terms of gender lens investment and, and similar types of investment, how, how do you see progress being made there and in introducing, you know, getting, getting a more balanced diversity of people engaged in the investment community? How, how do you see that in, in Nigeria? Uh, good question, Andrew. So, you know, I think that the world has moved now from just talking the talk about mm -hmm. ESG, you know, the G part of that, governance, women, um, and everything that would bring you back to women also investing. And, you know, uh, I think that the world has moved past that. And we are also at NGX also. I think we've done quite a bit uh, around that subject. We tend to take it more from that G part of things. How do we, whether through our disclosure, how do we, through whether even the activities of the exchange, encourage more women leadership, encourage more women participation in boards? Uh, because the data, I think, is quite clear. Uh, when there is a stronger representation of women, those companies are run better. Uh, those companies uh, come out with better, better, better outcomes. 
And uh, we think that that then flows through, you know, into hiring practices, into lending and things of that nature. The other thing that we continue to do is partnerships. We have very strong partnerships with the IFC, for example, uh, really around how do you get more inclusion of women into the financial markets. A lot of that is everything from literacy, education, uh, to advocacy. Uh, and then away from that, I think that what we also uh, practically do uh, at the exchange is to support more causes uh, that uh, okay. you know are tied to this. You've spoken yourself about corporates taking positive actions on sustainability reporting. And we've got COP27 is coming up very shortly. Mm. It's in Africa, and a lot of people are talking about it. I'm not entirely sure exactly what's going to happen, to be honest, having <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. But I'm sure um, there will be a lot happening. What would you hope to... Um, what would you hope to be brought out of either COP27 or generally these discussions? Because there's a lot of chat about greenwashing and mm. things like that at the moment. Where where do you stand on this, and how, what what do you how do you see hope in, for the future? Mm. Thank you very much, Andrew. I have to say that I share some of your thoughts as well. You know, what <laughs> is going to come out of this, uh, especially in light of all that's happening globally. Um, for me, I think that um, what do I expect to come out of this? Uh, stronger, my view, stronger commitment by developed countries all right, to supporting developing countries. Mm. Uh, there had been this $100 billion target yearly that yes. you know, they had set before. They missed that target, not by much, to be fair. I think it was maybe shy $10, $12 billion or so. But I think that the bar needs to be raised materially higher. Mm. Uh, the latest statistic is that in Nigeria, as we speak right now, 30 out of 36 states are dealing with floods. And yes. these are floods that have been caused really just by, you know, global warming and, um, you know, issues of that nature. So I think that out of COP27, I'm glad it's happening in Egypt. Mm. Uh, part of the reason for Egypt, of course, is to bring the focus and the attention to the fact that Africa gets a disproportionate share of the pain as a result of, um, you know, warming-related issues. So yeah, for me, yeah. I think number one is just, uh, a stronger commitment by developing countries to developed nations. Number two also, I think that is away from the funding, uh, what I would like to see also is just more consciousness by, um, I think, everybody that it's not just a funding conversation. Everyone has to be more sustainable in their approach. Everyone has to just be aware uh, that these are real issues. When I look at the political cycle, in Nigeria, you know, we're just ahead of elections now, or just before elections. Some of the rhetoric that I hear, it leaves me very concerned as to whether yeah. people really do understand that these issues are real uh, and that mm -hmm. they are not uh, made up. Well, having said that, when I look in the U.S., I think many people share <laughs> views that... I, this I is think the challenge is when, <laughs> when, when you have political problems, people tend to um, focus on politics rather than... Um, right. Rather right, than right. rather than nature, maybe you could say. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And then, yeah, of yeah. course, away from that, I'm sure developing countries now, increasingly, from what mm. I see, also do feel that they have needs that need to be met. You know, historically, before now, was almost the other way around. Mm. Um, so, it'll be interesting also to see, you know, what sort of desires you know developed nations also uh, see around this. And then, finally, I think that back to opportunities. One of the things that I think exchanges would be able to seize from all of this with time is, you know, trading carbon credits, as an example, yeah. 
and a market like Nigeria, I think that uh, that that should be a very potentially good opportunity for us because there should be lots of carbon credits from a place like this that cooperates abroad and internationally can perhaps trade around. Uh, Final final question. I think this has been really interesting, but um, uh, just a, a, a general overview. What do you what do you see as the top, you know, two or three priorities for investors on the continent on, on the African continent as as we look towards hoping to ramp up recovery with notwithstanding the enormous headwinds we keep getting thrown at us. Mm. So where do you mm. see the opportunities? Okay, so um, first of all, I think about priority. I think mm. priority tends to be uniform now, capital yep. preservation uh, in ways that, you know, ensure that inflation doesn't eat into capital. I think that's probably overdriving uh, priority for most investors. Now, where do I see opportunity? Uh, I see a lot of opportunity, speaking about on the continent, uh, a tremendous amount of opportunity just around um, uh, manufacturing. Mm. Uh, we have a strong view that when you look across Asia, where a lot of the manufacturing opportunity has always been in China, in Korea, uh, increasingly as the wealth continues to increase there, it's not as efficient and as profitable to manufacture from there. So how does the African continent uh, prepare itself and expose itself to attract some of all that manufacturing-related activity that should flow out of those regions? Some countries in Africa are more prepared than others, and I think that an opportunity would exist for investors, especially the more strategic-like investors rather than portfolio investors, yeah, to yeah. position and to set themselves um, up for that. The other ways I see opportunities are on financial inclusion. Uh, when I look mm. at Nigeria today, one of the biggest drives and goals of the monetary authorities is really how do you get more financial inclusion in the country? How do you uh, formalize the economy uh, a lot more? And I think that throws up a host of opportunities within financial services, uh, whether they're for portfolio investors again or for strategic investors. Uh, I see lots and lots of opportunity there. And then thirdly, it takes you to telecoms, to technology uh, the continent is very closely married to technology, to data, you know, to internet connectivity. So everything in that sort of um, space from fiber, you know, connectivity, hardware, uh, all the way to storage, to cloud type things. I think that there's a remarkable opportunity around uh, these areas. And then, you know, back to your more traditional sectors, I think those would be a function more of just global macro conditions improving. Uh, which is not where we are at this point in time. Some good positive comments to finish with. So, and thanks so much for that really interesting discussion. So, Temi Popula, CEO of Nigeria Exchange Limited, thank you so much for being on the A Perspective. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) 